You're listening to episode 4B of Making a Racket. You know, you talk about all these wonderful coaches and people you've met over the years. How is it to, for the very first time, to be able to coach yourself? I was kind of nerve-wracking. I wanted to win super badly. You know, like, I know looking back, I was too fired up. (laughs) and. I thought I had a lot of the answers and, you know, maybe would try to be a little bit too complex or, you know, put demands on players or ask, you know, like somebody, hey, I mean, you got to slice cross court to that backhand nine times out of 10, you know, and really they weren't capable of doing that, you know. And so, I mean, uh, you had to learn to coach within the talent that is brought to you, you know, you got to make that talent better too. But, uh, I was very, very desperate to beat a bunch of people. And I don't know that I was a graceful loser or a graceful winner early on. But then when I relaxed a little bit and things started to click, uh, it was really nice, but then it felt like, I'm not doing anything. I'm just copying everything that those coaches ever told me, uh, the drills that we've ever done. You know, like, it's not me. It's not me. And then after a little bit more time goes on, you know, somebody will tell you, you know, like, it is you. You know, whenever I was coaching and my my coach, Pat Wicks, was still at Permian, I mean, that guy, he beat me seven times in a row, and a few times he beat us really badly. That just used to chat my hide, you know, and I thought, you know, if I want to win one match, I want to beat Permian, you know, or whatever. And So finally came down to it, and I was thinking, okay, he's going over to this player, and he's telling him, keep the ball deep, try to get a ball high so that you get the backhand out of the comfort zone. And once you do that, look to attack, and you're going to have two, you know, I could hear what he told me. I could hear what he was saying. And I thought, how do you counter that? So we started slicing. I said, hey, trust me on this. I said, slice the ball straight ahead. You know, don't go cross court because they're going to look for, you know, to make you run, to get you off the court, to open up the approach. So keep everything straight ahead, straight ahead. And I said, once the player, hits a ball in and around the service line, don't hit the traditional approach shot in the backhand corner or over to the open court in the forehand corner. I said, nail it right down the middle. And I said, the first thing that's going to happen is the kid's going to lob you. Second thing's going to happen, they're going to miss the shot. Third thing's going to happen is they're going to think about passing you, but it's not going to be anywhere. And so we changed, you know, the perception of the court from being open and having to deal with angles and lobs and everything, they're playing in a little cone, you know. So then I figured out, yeah, you, you can do something like that. You know, you can create your own strategy and counter strategy. And so that was cool. But, I mean, to this day, uh, I'd say I'm still using the majority of things that were shared with me, things that were taught to me. Well. 
most story, I mean, as many stories as there are in the world and books and movies, they all pretty much come down to the same probably five stories. So I don't don't exactly think that's a bad thing. You uh, took a stint in administration in, I believe it was 2009. Uh, you left and then came back just a few years ago. Uh, tell us just why you did that and how you feel about that time. I mean, to be honest, uh, as I was going along in coaching, uh, there's a lot of talk in the education world about, you know, combining positions and looking at, you know, teachers that were more viable than others, you know, and and then talk with uh, state regulations about like, hey, maybe we don't need to teach the health class. Maybe driver's ed shouldn't be offered at school. You know, maybe physical education isn't so necessary, you know, and start to take some of these classes out of the the school system. And, you know, if students really wanted it, they could begin to take them online or through a college or a university, you know, and get those credits in the summer, that type of deal. And so I thought, oof, all I can kind of teach is, you know, like, Obviously, I could do the journalism, but we had a journalism teacher already, and you know, I could teach some, you know, speech. And uh, well, we had a speech teacher, and you know, uh, public speaking, communications, radio, TV. You know, no, we don't have those classes here, and they're not, you know, really offered. And so I was like, I'm not very valuable, you know. I mean, I'm coaching tennis all day. It's, you know, it's really cool, coaching at the junior highs, et cetera. But basically you're teaching, uh, you know, for a PE credit. And so I thought, I got to make myself more valuable. I could get fired. You know, I could just lose my job on the spot because of the way things are going and how they may change. So, you know, and I mean, for me, getting the masters and all that kind of stuff, I mean, it was a little refreshing to be back in the classroom at first, I thought I was going to hate it because, you know, I thought I was done. And, you know, I, I did go into the communications business and everything, and they pulled me out of there to coach tennis, which, you know, was a, a money decision at the time. You know, it wasn't like, yeah, I like this better than this. You know, I kind of wanted to do both. But, uh, you know, like I said, getting back into uh classroom was good. And, you know, pursuing education, I think, is always good. And, you know, once I got that master's, uh, I just thought, okay, let's apply yourself. You know, you didn't just go to school for nothing. So a guy that I was coaching little kids basketball with, you know, like YMCA basketball, said, hey, why don't you come work for me? And I thought, yeah, what do you do? You work in the oil field or something. I didn't know, you know. So I didn't know him well enough. You know, he was the head principal at Greenwood. He needed an assistant principal. And I was like, oh, I'm not certified yet, just yet. He said, that's fine. You can work out there and become certified. And so, yeah, they gave me a job right off the bat. Just trusted the fact that I was going to pass that state test in uh, the December, you know, and uh, Thank God I did, you know, because if I didn't, I, I wouldn't <laughs> have had a job. <laughs> and, you know, so I did that for a few years, and that was interesting. 
you know, seeing the other side of the coin, but I was seeing it in a different environment. And so then when my oldest son decided he didn't want to go to Greenwood, wanted to go to Midland High and be with his friends, I just drove by one day on my way home, dropped off uh, my resume, said, hey, if you guys are looking for anybody, I'm here. And they were. And so I didn't even have to interview for that. They hired me as a assistant principal there. And so then staying through uh, three different, three and a half different, four different head principals during that short period of time uh, could take some toll on you. And I don't know, truth be told, I, I didn't, didn't love doing that. You know, it wasn't you know, anything that special, it definitely, that's, that's my book coming out. You know, that's the dark side of education that too many people aren't aware of and probably should be made aware of. But, uh, those, uh, system principals, they do a lot and they put up with a lot. And, you know, you know, that's why it's a burnout job. It definitely gets to you. And I think it's probably like being a, I don't know, a policeman, a fireman, a, you know, health or health and safety worker, something like that. It's it's high stress a lot of times. And, you know, it's impossible not to take it home with you. It's impossible not to wake up and think about things. It's a job that doesn't end. So, boy, was I happy to get back out of the courts because, <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, I could, you know, I could go home and think about a forehand and be like, well, you know, that's that's not that big a deal compared to, you know, what somebody else is dealing with right now. So, but I mean, I'm glad I did it. I'm glad that I, you know, experienced that because I feel like as an educator, seeing the world from, you know, two, three different perspectives, you know, it's given me a, a better outlook on the career that, yeah, basically I've devoted my life to. You know, I'm at the stage now where, yeah, I can retire today, you know, and, and be okay. And I don't think there's too many educators that get to see all the facets like I did. And by far, coaching is the hardest, the most enjoyable, you know, the most rewarding. And, you know, the best out of teaching, coaching, administration, you know, uh, hands down, coaching is up there, you know, at the top. That's for sure. Yeah, I'm glad you uh, I'm glad you decided to coach again. I don't know what my last two years of high school have been like. <laughs> I, I don't know how much longer I'm going to last. Though, man. I'm like. <laughs> Oh. broken down. Sweet. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it'd just be in a wheelchair out there, the <laughs> megaphone yelling. I think if I did that, you I'd probably be good. Some robotic legs, maybe a new yes. elbow. Yeah, I had like five surgeries on my legs this last year, so they're actually doing pretty good. But I'm just like, what's next? Yeah, you know, don't get any better. But that's where you got to say, hey, no regrets, no regrets, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then, of course, with your three perspectives, nothing could have prepared you for COVID. 
So how has COVID been That was awful. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. You you guys are going to always have the the best perspective, the most unique perspective, I'm thinking, out of anybody. Just because, you know, everybody – Faced COVID, everybody faced whatever, but you know where can you say anybody that that wasn't in athletics had to face themselves, had to face you know everything in their heart, had to face you know I was just like they, it gets that's that was so tough, still so tough. So I mean. I don't know. I, I hope a lot is said about that in the future, you know, and I think the Olympics will probably bring it out in some. But I'm like, yeah, but the Olympics, they still got another shot. I said, you talk to the, the high school people where that was their shot. And now life has gone on and they've gone on. And I was like, that's that's where it's at right there. You know, so I don't know. I think I think you guys are there with that, but there was it was it was nice to play again this year. I'll say that. Uh, you know, with altered formats, altered scoring, uh, one day events, distancing at the events, having fewer teams at a single site, or you know, at an event total. Those things were all really unique, and I think we all learned, like, hey, tennis can go on, but in the end, like, after, if if I look at this year and I analyze it, the quality of tennis was not as good. And case in point, your team, we get invited to the Waco National UTR. I mean... Look, 30 years, uh, almost 30 years, that's at the top of my, that's on my highlight reel. I mean, that was so fun, so good, so rewarding, so everything. You know, I mean, when you think about that, you know, that's something you can, everybody's going to get to say that was there. Dude, we played this national tournament once upon a time. You know, you're going to be from Texas and the other guy's going to be from Louisiana. You're going to say, I was there. You're going to say, I bet I watched you play on the Baylor indoor courts. You know, I mean, that was phenomenal right there. I think things like that where life was life, we didn't have any concerns. You know, the quality was so much better. You know, the tall city where you can invite umpteen number of teams and play it everywhere and not have any concern. This year we were cutting it down to 12. I'd added an extra site. Uh, you know, thank God the ice storm hit. And that way I didn't have to have a, a flop or a failure. <laughs> but some of the other teams and, and, you know, the Hub City Classic and Lubbock and all that, they did a great job at pulling off a tournament. But, you know, then it was flighted. You know, teeny little flights. And, hey, if your player gets three matches, that's awesome. And I was like, okay. Well, I mean, it wasn't the big grandiose tournament. 
it wasn't the one that, hey, at the end of that thing, and you're holding the the golden goose in the main draw, or you're holding the, you know, whatever in the end of the consolation draw, and you felt like, my God, we earned this sucker. You know, it wasn't that type of environment or atmosphere. So, I mean, it it keeps getting lighter and lighter, our restrictions, you know, but uh, I don't know. There's still, like, no overnight in a hotel. And, um, some places will still require masks when you're not on the court, et cetera. So I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm one of these people where, yeah, I got my shots. Now you, everybody gets yours, too. And, you know, let's see where it goes from there. So. What else you want to know? Um, well, um, <laughs> that that leads us into uh, the next big tournament, and for many, uh, probably the final big tournament uh, district. Y'all, y'all go to that next week in Wolfworth, and um, I'll be there. I'll, I'll, I'll get to see y'all, which will be nice. Um, what are you looking forward to there? I know um, Tyler Stewart. Number one. Yeah, we just had the uh, district seating meeting this afternoon. And so, yeah, we got a couple of number one seeds in the Tyler Stewart in the boys' singles and Sarah Stewart in the girls' singles. And so um, I'm thinking that, yes, I believe that our players will go through and win those droughts, you know, and punch their ticket to regionals. Uh, next in mixed doubles, like Connor Kerriger and Montserrat Salazar seated second and we all agreed amongst ourselves that the road to regionals must go through San Angelo. Uh, they have two pretty good mixed doubles teams and we better beat one of them, if not both of them. And so, you know, that's, that's kind of the focus and direction that they're taking right now. I do feel good about their chances. They've, uh, had their their highs early on, and then they experienced some lows. And so now they're climbing back up. So I was a little bit worried about them peaking too soon, you know. It's, you you kind of got to get that timing right, too, I think, for that. Um, a surprise a little bit was uh, a boys' doubles team, Parker Smith and Caden Reese. Their very last tournament, they had a couple of clutch wins, which in essence uh, – I think we're the uh, persuasive tools to, you know, get the other coaches to vote for them. And so uh, I think their chances are are definitely there. Uh, they'll have to play one to two extremely good matches, I think, to solidify the deal. As there's a couple of really good boys doubles teams in there. But, you know, can be done. Yeah. It's just a matter of are we going to feel the pressure? Are we going to go out and play, you know, like we can, nice and relaxed and stuff? So uh, girls' doubles, we're going to have a tough time. I think you got uh, Abilene High. They got probably, I'm going to say the best girls' doubles team in the state. I haven't seen one better. So I, I, they're, they're probably a lock to win district. And, you know, there's a couple more in there. And, I mean, to come out of that, we have some youngsters and some with, you know, some experience. But uh, 
I'd say odds are a little bit against us there, but hopefully we'll we'll play tough. So, you know, in a nutshell, I'm looking forward to, you know, I'd, I'd love to get, you know, six kiddos on the region. You know, that would be very rewarding. Uh, anything less than that is still rewarding, but, you know, we've got to shoot for our best realistic possibilities. And so that's where I'm at right now with, with that, but definitely going to be exciting to play district and, you know, have a shot to move on to region. Yeah. I wish I could come watch, but, uh, <laughs> eight hour drives a little much. <laughs> yeah. A bit. Yeah. I mean. We can, uh, what is it, zoom it or FaceTime it. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I got you, Sean. Yeah, Nathan can do it. Oh my yeah. gosh! Um, you know, please refrain from throwing any sorts of bags while you're there. <laughs> <laughs> you see, I was I was just not very happy. And if I had known that was the last one, it might not have just been the bag. Okay, if I had known that was it. <laughs> Like it ended you up being for it. You'd have just. <laughs> I probably would have just smashed them all and quit. It's like what? What tennis? I'm. I'm good. I'm done. <laughs> oh boy. Well, we're glad you did it. <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah. <laughs> but definitely a thought. Um, I still remember the match then I where your, had other your glasses broke and like you played some of the best tennis you've ever played. <laughs> oh, that was great. <laughs> Oh man, was that in Kerrville? Yeah, it was Kerrville, and it was pretty good. I, I um, yeah, I was like Nathan can't see, and they're like, "Coach, are you kidding me? He's hitting winners left and right." It's like, are you serious? They were exaggerating <laughs> a little bit. I was mostly pushing. I I couldn't yeah. see the ball till it almost crossed the net, so I had to kind of judge maybe where the ball was going, and then I'd hit winners. It probably did piss him off for the at least hit like two. That probably bothered him a little bit. Bothered That'd be me. a good coaching technique. Keep everybody blindfolded until the last second. And say that again. <laughs> that's how it was. I could. Sean, do you have anything else to ask? Because I mean, I think no, other than that, we can go. I mean, Miami. we pretty much through. We went through your whole tennis life. When we come back, we'll talk about the Miami Open. I don't know where else I was going with that. So. Make sure you subscribe to Flags and Fouls and Making a Racket on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the fourth episode of Making a Racket. Now we're going to talk about the Miami Open and men's singles Hubert Hercosh won against Yannick Sinner in the final. And those are two names we're not exactly used to hearing. Herkosh is now number 16 in the ATP rankings. Yannick Sinner has moved up to 23. Sinner is a 19-year-old that we've known for a few years now. He looks like the radio. Herkosh, however, has had big wins in the past. Last few years, uh, you'll see him and he beats Dominic Team or Roger Federer or Djokovic or he'll play them or whatever. It's like, man, this guy's this guy can play good at times. and. But he never seems to break through. Well, he broke through on Sunday, winning the Miami Open. I want to ask you guys, um, what what did you think about Hubert Hercosh and his run? Yeah, he knocked out some seeds along the way. I mean, he reminds me a lot of uh, Marat Safin. The fact that, you know, he's a big guy, he moves well. 
when he's striking the ball well, he definitely can keep you on the defensive. And then the key to the whole game is he doesn't make a lot of unforced errors. You know, or at least he did it against center. And uh, definitely, you know, I think that's part of his ups and downs because I've seen other matches where he's all over the place and doesn't appear to be moving so well. You know, I think his uh, back end in particular, you know, he can do a lot of damage off of it. It seems like he hits a big heavy ball. And, uh, you know, I mean, I was surprised. I, I thought center was going to take him in the final, but watching that a little bit, I think center maybe was tired. Uh, to say, simplify it, I guess, you know, I, I don't know. For sure. Yeah, he, um, you know, we're kind of spoiled. I probably mentioned this before, but we're spoiled with Federer and Adal and Djokovic. She's like, we expect someone to be dominant every tournament and just, you know, beat people they're supposed to beat. So you have seeds like Zverev and Sitsipas and even Medvedev who just disappoint us on the regular. <laughs> but at least this time we had more young people do well in this tournament rather than, you know, some getting up their old guy like Rayanich yeah. or, or Chilich or even Fognini um, in 2019. So, mm. what do you think? I mean, to be fair, Fognini, you know, we knew he always had the talent, just never cared. Yeah, but then he won when he was 30-something. <laughs> He's too pretty to care. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Um I, I did see in the first set, you know, that was, it was in a tie break, but uh, Sinner had 28 unforced errors. Or gosh, mm-hmm. at 13. Yeah. And that was pretty much the difference. And that felt like the difference. It felt like wherever Sinner went, the match went. And it ended in a loss for him. I mean, if Sinner had played better, yeah, he definitely could have won, but Hercage just was steady enough in that match. Yeah, I think, you know, like, Playing Batista a good round before, but they play like 23, 22 games. I mean, mm-hmm. like it was, you know, 7 5, 6 4, 6 4. It was, it was solid. Uh, I don't think any points were two, three ball points, you know? And I mean, that was super impressive because, uh, I mean, those points were won, they were earned. And I think that took it out of them. You know, took it out of the legs a lot. Yeah, because he had to win long rallies, and I and I yeah. noticed that um, he started winning them. But yes, it it's like, ugh. where do you guys? Oh, Yannick Center made he made the quarters at the French. He forced Nadal in. I mean, played Nadal about as good as anyone did that tournament in the first set, at least. Afterwards, it became more difficult. Nadal became the the king of clay that we all know, but. Um, how do you think, how do you think the clay court season is going to look? Because you've got guys like center that really could take the next step. And obviously you have Nadal, not a lot. I mean, we know everything about him. You have Novak Djokovic though, who can always beat Nadal. And you've got top guys that can play on the clay, but you've got others like Medvedev who've never won a match at the French. They're 0 and 4. He's 0 and 4 and he's number two in the world. So how do you think the clay court season is going to look? 
I think it's going to look a little bit more open. Uh, I do expect to see, you know, some different faces in there. I think uh, with Nadal pulling out here and there, you know, whether he cites COVID restrictions or, you know, back pain or whatever, I I think he's appears to me that he's pacing himself, similar to what Federer did, you know, for several years. I don't think Djokovic can afford to do that yet, but uh, who knows? So in thinking about that, yeah, I mean, I'm dying for a Rublev or, you know, somebody just to, to break out. It was pretty refreshing, you know, seeing two different guys at the U.S. Open final this year. So uh, and it's cool that there's so many names. You know, of players that have done things and that are capable of putting it all together and, and doing well. So, uh, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to look for, you know, like the Medvedev or the Sitsipas to come through at some point in time. Clay wouldn't be too bad. Mm-hmm. They definitely do better on clay than they do on grass. Yeah, that's for, that's a topic for another time. Uh, yeah. But mm, I expect Sitsipas center and team to be, you know, the top performers in the clay like season. Mm-hmm. Although he team has been going through a mental stint right now. It's not great tennis for him from the beginning of the year, but He'll figure it out in the clay season, I'm sure. Um, I still expect Nadal to win the French Open. I don't I don't see anyone beating him yet, unless his back is really hurt. But even when his knees were basically destroyed, he he still made it pretty far in the French. Yeah. Can't uh, forget our shorter pros though too. There's still a couple of them that <laughs> no, play right. awfully well on the play oh we did a we did a segment on in a couple episodes ago about diego schwartzman who i'm I'm pretty sure you're getting that um it's my dad's favorite player now (laughs) he's like i'm rooting for that little guy (laughs) yeah and and his story is incredible too um yeah kind of a his parents are riches to rags and then he went rags to riches as sean said that actually i can't steal that from him so um now let's go to the women's side. Ashley Barty beat Bianca Andrescu. Andrescu fell in uh, kind of in the middle of the second set. Did something with her ankle that was already taped up. She retired from the match a couple of games later. But Andrescu had really just come back from injuries after she won the U.S. Open in 2019. Really didn't play for a while. COVID probably didn't help with that. Came back this year. Barty didn't play a lot either. A lot of her situation was based on COVID. Uh, her coach, I think, was stuck in Melbourne is what the situation was. So she didn't play the U.S. Open, didn't play the French in 2020, just kind of sat out. She seems to have rounded into form. We saw Naomi Osaka lose for the first time in a while. And we saw other people come up. So I want to ask you guys, what did you think about, what do you guys think first about Barty coming into form in Miami? After such a long layup. I love Ashley Barty. (laughs) 
She she's one of my favorite. She's been one of my favorite players since I uh, probably 2019. I don't know when her first breakthrough was, but um, I've liked her for a while. Also, because when I played tennis, I used to slice my backhand a lot, and she slices her backhand a lot. Yeah, we know. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a shame though that I think she's she's a a good all around player. You know, she's. Super tough for a women's player. Yeah. Yeah. And she offers, like you said, a great variety uh, in her game. Reminds me a little bit more of like Martina or Steffi, you know, use a little bit more of the court and use a lot more tools. It's, I think, fun to see that instead of the women, just sometimes you see the toe to toe from the baseline slugfest and can't stand it. Yeah. Our, our friend Shannon would probably disagree with that. Uh, she likes going toe to toe. Yeah. As we've all, as, as we understand now, but I, I agree with that. I, I like watching Barty play and uh, the variety she has. And, and as Sean and I were kind of talking, she's more consistent. I think she and Simona Halep tend to be the most consistent on the women's side. I think Naomi Osaka may get Osaka, back into yeah. that. At, at this point, after kind of going in a slump after her first two majors, which her slump is probably great for most players, but nonetheless, a slump. So well, I think the uh, the the young Greek girl that was also in the semifinals. Mm-hmm. Oh man, she's complete package. She looks like she's going to be around for a while. So I don't know. Give Sushi Pass. Some some company. It's, there's just so much um so much youth in tennis right now in the pro tennis. You have Barty is 24 and uh I don't I don't even know how to pronounce his name. Hercot her her Hercot is 24. Yeah, I got. I hope I'm not butchering that. Um, <laughs> and then the other right. two are like 19. Yeah, you are seeing a youth movement, which is not unheard of in tennis. It actually used to be much more common as uh, as I know coach coach knows he actually said names like Hingis and Kornikova and that made me think oh yeah you want to talk about young people when they were 15 well yeah that means they're what two years away from being uh top pro players so <laughs> pretty much yeah I mean like jump straight from the Orange Bowl into the U.S. Open is pretty impressive yeah I think and it and it seems to be coming back a little more Although maybe the ages are boosted a little bit, which I think is good. I think yeah. I think Coco Golf being sixteen is fine. Or um, considering the support system she has, but in general that can be very dangerous. So, but at the same time, yeah. we're glad to see young people in, so that way you know there is a future at tennis. Um, right. Because as great as like on the men's Fed Nadal, Djokovic on the women's side, Serena Williams. It's like, okay, well, they have to retire at some point, I think. <laughs> so somebody's got to replace them. What I want to get yeah, into, though. You got you to gotta think, too, like, did, did uh, Fed those guys actually change the parameter of young tennis player? Mm. Can the 25 and 27-year-old be young? You know, because yes. technically they would have – more than half a career left. <laughs> yes, because I think we think of Dominic Team as young. When he is, I think, 25 or 26. Yeah. So, yes. 
I, I, I agree with that fully. So yeah, that, that uh, Sakurai that you know she got beat in the semis. I mean, she's twenty five. Mm-hmm. You know, you haven't seen much of her before, but she seems like got enough in the tank and super fit where mm-hmm. you could see her doing damage in the next five years. Mm-hmm. For sure. So, yeah, she beat Naomi Osaka in the quarterfinals. Yeah, um, Owen six love six four, and his business. Very. Um, and then lost in the semis to Bianca Andrescu, who then right. lost in the final. So that leads me into Andrescu. It feels like if you talk about her, you talk about either she wins or she has an injury. And it's, it's really sad. So where we don't know how bad this injury is, I don't think this is nearly as bad an injury as a rest, but what do you guys think about at, at what point is she going to be able to is she, if she stays healthy, what can she do? But can she stay healthy? Uh, number one, I think, yeah, she can stay healthy. I don't know what her fitness routine and everything is now, but that can always be beefed up. But number two, hey, let's start coaching a little different because we've all seen her play. She offers a good variety, but there are times out there where it's, it's go, 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 go. You know, and I think some of that can be. Um, what tailored some of that energy can be used elsewhere to where maybe, you know, cause it seems like during that time, that's, that's where she's going to get the injury. You know, that, that semifinal match, you could tell the arm was hurting. Well, finals, she comes out, you know, taped up right here. And the swing didn't even look the same from the start. And I was just like, well, yeah, she did that in four, three in the breaker, you know, it's like, you know, I mean, I don't know if if she's capable of, you know, holding back here and there, but we've definitely seen players, you know, throughout the decades that they knew, hey, don't go get that ball. Let that one go, you know, and come back for, for the next one. Or, you know, maybe the coaching. You have a outright forehand winner, but you can also hit a drop shot, same effect. You know, why don't you <laughs> not throw your arm out on this ball? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. So it could be a matter of playing more efficiently, basically. Yeah. I never really. Just play like Fed. Uh, yes. Just just play like Fedder. <laughs> he didn't have in I mean, he now has injuries, but he's also 40. <laughs> I think 40. it's excusable at this point <laughs> to, to be injured all the time. And guys, that's really all I have. Um, thank you guys for coming on. Uh, in two weeks, we'll have our next episode. On April 20th, our next episode of Making a Racket, we'll probably talk about Monte Carlo. That will just finish up and what we've seen from the first two weeks of the clay court season. Thank you, Sean, for always being on. Thank you, Coach Tom Hiding, for taking some time. Go go watch the national championship, even though, even though you know, I was not in it. I'm sorry. All right. At least look at guys had a run. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks, Coach. Go, go ahead and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Follow us at Making a Racket 3 on Twitter. Follow us on Facebook at Making a Racket. Follow us on Instagram. We will have that coming shortly. Go ahead and subscribe to Flags and Fouls wherever you get your podcasts. And we are done.